Welcome, everybody. This is the closed session with your hosts, James Santa Maria. And to my right is Lauren Delgado. Hello. Hi, everybody. We are back with our second episode and uh, we come prepared. We come bearing gifts and we I don't really want to call this the cannabis show for now, but there's going to be there's going to be a lot of cannabis discussion, I think. And, um, you know, I'll come up with a cool hashtag for it. Just give me a second. How about hashtag cannabis? <laughs> That's not cool. That's very broad. Okay. You just said it wasn't going to be the cannabis episode. Anyway. Okay. We're not, we're not call We're not calling that. We're not calling the show that I should say. So here we are, folks. We have some wonderful guests tonight. Um, part of the SMG family. Yes. You know, they, they've worked with us. They know us. We know them. We've seen them grow. And now they're here fulfilling a wonderful dream that I've known they've, they've had for many years, which is to, <laughs> to be I gotta on go. our podcast. <laughs> to be on your podcast. I it's stay true. up thinking about it. So, Thank you so much for asking. So rather than me introducing them, I'm going to let them do a self-introduction. What do you think? Let's so, do it. So ladies first, we have Thank our you. lady here to the right. Can you introduce yourself? Hey everyone, uh, my name is Stephanie Uy. I'm the Southern California Regional Policy Manager for Flow Kana. We are one of the uh, largest cannabis distributors in the state of California and currently the number one selling flower brand in California. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Right so. on. We're happy to have you here, Steph. But, Thank you, you know, before we go on to the other guests, just a quick background on yourself. I mean, you had a life before cannabis. Tell us what you used to do more than six weeks ago. I've been with Philicana now for, for just about end of my fifth week. But uh, before this, I was a political staffer uh, here at the local level and at the state. So staffer working in, in, in uh, drop some political names, campaigns. Drop some names. Yeah, totally. Of course. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to shout them out. So yeah, for seven years. Um, so I started first um, on the Obama campaign uh, in Colorado for his reelect in 2012 and then moved, um, came back to L.A. and started on John Choi's Council District 13 race. Started on that. That was my first exposure to the political landscape here in Los Angeles. Um, finally able to get a gig with Councilman Paul Krikorian, was his scheduler for two years. So I moved up, worked for then assembly member Jimmy Gomez as a field representative um, representing historic Filipino town, uh, Echo Park, Silver Lake. And then most recently with um, council member Mitch Englander's office as a policy deputy. Ooh, shout out. Yeah, so with Mitch and then, um, then councilman Greg Smith. So, you know, you've, you've been doing the city hall thing for a while, you know, and um, out there getting into just the flow of what City Hall is about. Any any quick thoughts about like your time there, what you learned and kind of what, what you got out of it? I think when I started out in City Hall in like 2013, 
It was a lot different. It was definitely a lot more male dominated. It was hard for me to find my place in City Hall, um, to find like other like-minded staffers of color. But eventually we found our way to each other and we moved up in City Hall together. So I like to say now that City Hall is in a, in a better place in terms of representation. Um, you know, hopefully we'll start to see more uh, women on the city council, um, but definitely um, learned a lot navigating a local government and how to get things done. So yeah, that's a skill that I'll take with, take along with me. So. Well, a lot of our listeners want to know kind of how things get done in City Hall and like you're an important cog or were an important cog and continue to be <laughs> that important cog in the City Hall machine. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. So to your right, is a gentleman that I've known for many years. He's a good friend. Um, please introduce yourself. Thank you, thank you. Uh, hey everyone, my name is Jay and Hong. Uh, I'm an attorney in LA. I have my own practice. It's called, uh, uh, an original name, Law Offices <laughs> of Jay and Hong. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. uh, I do uh, a lot in cannabis law. And but my specialty is actually criminal defense. Criminal defense. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that about you, Jay. Yeah, that's how I, I got you into. Were all about the cannabis. No, that's how actually uh, how I got into cannabis uh, when you know people were having issues uh, opening up, uh, you know, illegal cannabis stores way back when. They would come <laughs> to me, ask me for advice, and uh, when they would be charged criminally with marijuana-related offenses, they would come to me. Thank you very much. We're going to have a pretty um, interesting discussion about this because we brought some players here, kind of understand the industry. We're approaching this from kind of the political policy and definitely the legal side of this so um, lots of things to to, to go over um, but more importantly kind of you know where is this all heading is really kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys to to, to talk about uh, for our topic about cannabis being kind of the next big thing everybody talks about the green wave everybody talking about not just green rush yes. yeah the green yes the green rush ah, the green rush yes. sorry the, the it's the korean wave sorry it's not the green it's the green rush so what we we want to kind of bring out for each of you and um, hopefully you can kind of give us your insights is like again it's what what's going on now where's it heading and what do you think is going to be like the new landscape of of california and and importantly uh, the city of Los Angeles and other surrounding cities uh, here. So with that, let's start with a question. Yeah, I was like, that's very broad. Let's Well, you know, let's, we got to break uh, it let's down. Let's jump into it. Let's just jump into it because I know we got a lot of things to talk about. So um, let's talk with Jay. Jay. Jay and I have kind of like worked together. Um, for those of you who don't know, I do also represent uh, the Santa Maria Group. Lauren and I, we also represent cannabis clients. But, well, we, we want to talk a little bit about it. There's obviously a history here, and um, it is kind of the history of Los Angeles, too, to a certain, exp to, uh, to a certain um, level in terms of the people who are affected by it, the people who were kind of incarcerated, uh, who, who were working kind of what I call in the, the cover of night, and now, kind of, and now all of a sudden it's legal, right? So, Jake... Tell us kind of your history with this thing and, and tell us how this all kind of came about with you personally. Well, I had, uh, I had friends that were interested in opening up shops uh, several years ago um, or some that already had shops and they would run into legal issues regarding them. They would ask me, well, how can we go legal? You know, and back then you know, it was under the pre-ICO system. Los Angeles was uh, basically gave uh, certain dispensaries, limited immunity from prosecution. It wasn't a license to do business, but it was just immunity from prosecution. So when you say ICO, for our listeners, what is an ICO? It's the interim ordinance. So basically, um, the voters of LA passed an ordinance to allow 
uh, a certain number of dispensaries from uh, pre-2007 limited immunity to stay open and they would have to pay taxes to the city and things like that and there were approximately 135 of those operating until wait, just wait, recently. I'm gonna stop you there. Mm -hmm. 135 limited immunities. Quote unquote <laughs> legal shops. How many do you think we have here in the city of Los Angeles? Just in the city? Right now? Uh, or let's shoot. just say about a year ago. No. Before this a a year ago there might have been up to two to three thousand. Uh, there was Jeez. actually a report that just came out today that in said... This, just in the city. Two to three thousand... In the city, was probably. Was that retail? Retail, maybe, yeah. Because there were a lot of pop-up shops. That's right. what I was oh, hearing. I like, I, I don't have personal knowledge of this, but, you know, you just hear things from people, right? Lies, so, you represented them. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when you talk to them. But, uh, actually, that might have been two years ago. They started stepping up enforcement. I know at one point it was like two to three thousand, but... It's much lower now. Now, now Steph, you, you were in the council office, and I know, for example, Mitch was really a big proponent of closing up illegal shops. Absolutely. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, so since cannabis has become illegal here in the state of California, the illicit market has grown. It has skyrocketed. So right now it's up 800%. 800%. seeing so many illicit shops open because of how taxing uh, it is to go through the regulations to come into uh, the legal market. And so yeah, people are people are just cashing in on that. And now are you talking just about retail illicit retail shops or are we talking about grows? I'm specifically talking about retail, but there are definitely, you know, illicit grows and other parts of the supply chain. But yeah, here here in Los Angeles, um, that is our, our it's, it's an issue that's very specific to Los Angeles um, because we were a little slower um, than other parts of the state to bring on board our legal framework. NorCal, they don't have as many um, illicit shops. I mean, they still exist, but here in, in Los Angeles, we're just infamous for it. And so the city council is really grappling with how, how to enforce. Uh, probably about two months ago, they allocated $10 million to step up enforcement and close down these shops. And they're closing down around one to two shops per week, but just to keep up with how many shops there are, it's really difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's like, um, when we would meet with potential clients, and trust me, we met with so many different folks, just trying to weed out the folks who were real and who weren't. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and people would be so, like, yeah, I got to grow in, in, in uh, downtown Los Angeles. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, really, I do. I have a grow and it's legal. I'm like, no, no you, you don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> or I've got, a, I've got a retail shop in Hollywood and, uh, and it's for adult use. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> Not a legal one. Those were like kind of the, the things that I think there were a lot of folks who were kind of either in the dark or maybe misrepresenting or probably just didn't know and ignorant about the fact that they were an illicit shop, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. I think that's still going on today with a lot of folks, especially if you're an investor, not necessarily an operator. So, mm -hmm. Jay, we, you've run kind of the gamut of that. Any any thoughts on that? Oh, I've met a lot of people interested in this business. Um, well, you know, and I try to be honest and transparent with them. You know, this business is not an easy business. Not I mean, you still, you know, it's still a business. You can't just throw money at it and think it's going to work, right? Um, but one thing that is pretty common against every, you know, with everybody I've met is I tell them how much capital is probably going to be required for this business. And a lot of them, it scares off a lot of people. You right. know, it's, it's, it's a lot of capital. You know, the product still costs a lot of money to get inventory, right? To set it up, to go through the licensing process itself costs a lot of money. A lot of cities require that you have a property in place before you even apply for a license. Ah, and, yes. and that requires even more money, right? So uh, when, you, when I tell them, you know, how much it 
might approximately cost just to even have a chance at getting licensed scares a lot of people away. Well, why don't you scare the audience? What are we looking at? <laughs> well, it, you know, every city is different. Like, uh, you know, the LA SCP process, you know, the social equity social program, equity which, program. Yes. which we'll talk about <laughs> soon. Um, you know, one requirement was that you had to have a property. It, yeah. within a, a compliant yeah. property, okay? Right. And just to find a compliant property was hard in itself, but these landlords, they know that their property is compliant, mm -hmm. and next thing you know, the, the you know, jack the cost, the yeah, they jack up the prices, basically. You so, have to make sure your zoning's okay, you have to make sure you're 300 feet away from a sense of use, like a school, of course. or a, you know, So at the daycare. end of the day, it's like, I tell people that one the cannabis, billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> the cannabis industry, at the end of the day, is a real estate play. Because you really, to get licensing, you've got to show site control of some sort of location or property. And that property has got to fit and check all the boxes, of which there are several. And you got to go through the hoops of the zoning. you got to go through the hoops, like Steph said, about the distance requirements, just sensitive uses. And then you got to deal with either the seller or the person who's going to lease it to you. And... Maybe, Jay, you want to talk about kind of some of those experiences that you've kind of run into? Because it's interesting. Well, I mean, just like, what, what do you see in terms of the, the challenges in actually, what well, we say a, a real estate play in trying to take down one of these properties so that you could actually be ready to submit a, an application or a license uh, for a license to the city? It, it depends on if, you're, if you have the capital to purchase the property or if you have the capital to lease the property. But either way, when you're looking at applying for a license, the challenge is trying to get uh, an option in there to back out if you, if you don't get the license. Basically, contingency. And so the biggest challenge is how much money is that going to take? You know, because you're throwing money at it for a landlord or, you know, the the, own, the seller, right, to hold that property in place for you, right? You're either going to sign a purchase agreement or a lease agreement with the contingency that if you do not get a license, you can terminate the lease or the purchase agreement. But that's going to cost money. And the challenge is negotiating that, negotiating that amount. You know, it could be anywhere from 10000 to, who knows, 100000 It just right. depends. So that's one part of it, right? And then now it's like... Then you got to get community support. It sounds like you know to a certain degree, right? It, I don't know if necessarily you ha you have to get the approval of every community group that's out there, but people still kind of don't understand that. Maybe stuff you could talk about a little bit about like how does that work in terms of the politics of cannabis in, within City Hall and the neighborhoods? Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple things. There's something called uh, PCN. Um, you, you know, you're very familiar with it in terms of alcohol and stuff like that. Would that like be that. public convenience and necessity? Yes. <laughs> public convenience and necessity. So, um, so in areas of the city where there's an undue concentration, so they're, they already met their cap. Like, the city council passed that, you know, for every X amount of residents in the city of Los Angeles, there can only be X amount of retail shops. There can only be X amount of manufacturing space. So once, like, a certain a community plan has hit their cap, they have to come to the council member and approach them and, hey, I have a really great idea. I would really have to open up shop in your district. And they have to go through that PCN process. They have to prove, you know, why, why it would be great for the community, the community buy-in. They have to do a public hearing uh, period where people can appeal, people can voice their concerns. And this is the part that scares the living crap out oh, of people. Oh, yeah, people who, who have their money invested in this. So, yeah, they, you definitely have to get buy-in from your council member, uh, community groups, neighborhood councils, 
And so we're going to definitely see more and more of that um, happen once these community plans begin to hit their limit. And and then so when you worked in the council, like obviously we we, we weren't at that point where we were that that the city was accepting applications, but nonetheless, you probably had some folks maybe approach you and said, "Would you support?" this area X or can you maybe say yes to this area? Did that happen to you? Definitely. I mean, definitely um, they approached our our planning director. Uh, At the time I was working for Councilman Englander, so we are District 12. So in the West Valley, you know, we have big warehouses. We have a lot of space. And so um, investors, owners would come up to us and be like, hey, can we sit down? You know, I'd love to chat about opening up uh, a business, cannabis business in your district. So, yeah, it was really, we, we did get to have a say. Like, Councilman Englander was really interested in, in kind of, like, research and, you know, like, biotech stuff. Like, how do we how do we use, you know, cannabis for good in that way? So, yeah, you get to have some sort of discrep- uh, discretions. As, as a council member, yeah, you, get, you have a lot of discretion. And I'm assuming that there's also, with that, you know, the ability to kind of, either find a spot that you like that's going to be approved and also finding a spot that's going to make you money, right? And that's also the way to balance this out is because something that can be approved may be in an area that's just not going to make you any money. I mean, we saw that a lot, Jay, right? Can you comment a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, ca- cannabis business is a business. So, you know, any any retail store is going to require a location that has good traffic, right? Customer traffic. And that's one of the challenges of finding a, a property. So especially for a retail store, if you're a warehouse, yeah, I mean, then you could pretty much get it anywhere. Um, you want to be, use. yeah, yeah you, but you want to be within, you know, a, a decent distance from where your distributors are going to be, right? So, but yeah, that's always a challenge with retail stores, especially in LA and especially with the zoning uh, laws and and the uh, location restrictions. I think what we're seeing in other cities is they've relegated all cannabis activity to certain green zones. So, and, and these green zones are, are typically just industrial use. So they're on the outskirts of town. They're usually by strip clubs. They're in areas that are kind of like out of sight, out of mind. So they let's just see, strip clubs one. and cannabis. Yes, <laughs> they just opened they a Stizzy right next to the Deja In the Arts Ooh. District, yeah, Stizzy just opened up. It's huge. I was, yeah, I was there for their for their for their grand opening. I drove they, by. They, they it co- looks they, very uh, cool. Yeah, it's great. It's a yeah. wonderful. They have retina um, art pieces in there. Yeah, I saw they, that. They carry full kind of products. Supposed to do our our wall. Oh, uh, right. Sarkis introduced us to Retina. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a long interesting. time ago. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so yeah, it's right next to Deja Let Vu. me give you, let me ask you a question about like where in the city of Los Angeles, what's the number? Everybody always talks about what's the number of retail shops that they're possibly going to allow. And, and by the way, there's, there's no real right answer. It's just kind of, we kind of know to a certain extent what's going to be maybe approved in, in, in throughout the city, but any thoughts on how you, you see that kind of coming out? Yeah, on September 3rd, really recently, just the other week, the city of Los Angeles just opened up applications for 100 retail licenses. That's not a lot, though. It's not a lot, but we already, we already have the pre-existing right. you know, um, shops. So let's count the numbers here. Let's do the math. So we have a total of how many property compliant I think right dispensaries now that are now legal. I think right now there's 170. Yeah, that that's right. So 170 like and then, and then there's another 100. Plus 100 coming on board. 270, and then they're going to do another 150 
in uh, in round two of phase three. So this first hundred. So that's what four twenty. Wow, good job. Exactly. 420. Wait, really? Did you do the math? I did. 420. So. <laughs> oh my God, it's Kismet. <laughs> you did that, did it on purpose. Wait, really? <laughs> was I, I talked to DCR. They told me the numbers. Just slipping my mind right now. I mean. Uh, I, I thought be it was that. 400 before, but I guess it's 420 now. I know that they gave some extra licenses out. Through, there was some, you know, paperwork issues or this or I that. I think and, with yeah. the PCN process, that's where we're seeing the additional licenses because it's, you know, it's up to the discretion of the council member. By the way, if it was council. for if it was four twenty, DCR, your geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be. That really would be. <laughs> but you know, I want to take this back in terms of licensing and this thing called the social equity approach, right, or the social equity rule. Who wants to tackle and define that for our audience out there, listeners who are, who are listening intently to understand what exactly is social equity in this case? <laughs> Any takers on that? So yeah, the city of Los Angeles, the way they approach this, they passed a program called the Social Equity Program. So it was a, a tangible and concrete attempt in addressing the economic and social inequality caused by the war on drugs. Um, because here in Los Angeles, specifically communities of color, low-income folks, especially in South LA, um, East LA, like Boyle Heights, and parts of the San Fernando Valley were disproportionately um, incarcerated, criminalized due to cannabis activity. So the social equity program is uh, an attempt to um, reduce the barriers in entering the legal cannabis marketplace. So let me get this straight, Steph. If you were a victim of any type of cannabis-related crime back in the day, back when you were in high school or earlier, and now that cannabis has been legalized, you have a chance to be an owner? Correct. So here, yeah, this is specific to the city of Los Angeles. And you don't have to just be someone who was incarcerated. You could have been someone who lived in the area codes that, um, you know, this disproportionate enforcement was happening. Right. So if you lived in, there's different tiers. You can you can track DZR's website. But, um, the, you know, you could live there for five years and be low income or have a conviction on your record. You could have done time. But um, it has to be cannabis related. So all those folks who did coke. You're like breaking or, all my friends' heroin, <laughs> You're done. But if it was cannabis, yeah. you're okay. Or if, yeah, or if you lived in this area, certain zip code for a number amount of years on low income, you can qualify to be what's called a social equity applicant. And so the, the like I said, the, and what do they win, Steph? <laughs> what do they win? Um, they they receive um, first. They receive priority. So you know they're first to market. They um, are given you know resources, um, training, leadership, so stuff like that. Okay. And it's uh, from a legal standpoint, Jay. How is this? procured for for those who who are like thinking about being part of the social equity component i mean uh steph is right in that you know they gain priority right but they're gonna need a money man you know basically and so Mm -hmm. the city is basically forcing social equity applicants and investors to partner up with each other what with the forcing (laughs) it's interesting so that's the truth in that what jay's saying so so basically it's not an incentive 
I mean, it is an incentive, but the way they're doing it, it is. They're, you're basically kind of tying tying their hands together because right now the department is only taking um, applicants who have a social equity partner. So you must include this as part of your application to be part of this round. Only social equity applicants can apply in the first hundred. Who's the department that department you're Department of Cannabis to? Regulation, DCR. So they have to have someone on their their ownership team that has that is a social social equity applicant. So they have to have at least part ownership or they're, they have a social equity partner and they're just providing them resources. So th- like I said, there's different tiers, but yes, people who are, can apply now have to be a social equity applicant. So I, I, um, I, I joke when I kind of say, you know, what do they win or right. whatever. You know, the thing about this thing that's really interesting is when I bring this up to people, in just regular conversation or at dinner parties or wherever I'm like hanging out and talking about cannabis, they trip out about this. This is something that they're like, like when they first hear it, they think this is a crazy, why would you do this? And then it starts, when you start to explain it Mm -hmm. and you talk about the history, it starts to make sense. It does. At first, it can be this concept can be very radical for folks who aren't familiar with how the war on drugs really impacted communities here in Los Angeles. There, you know, I've heard people say, "Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair." But I mean, for a lot of these folks who have, you know, especially if you had to do time in jail, um, being given priority to to have, you know, first stake in this upcoming industry, um, you know, is fair. It, but is it? I don't think there's a way where you can actually repay these folks who who have had their lives taken down by the war on drugs. So I think this is this is just an attempt of, of the city and I and I applaud them. You know, this is a, a hard thing to to tackle. But I think um on the other end we have to be as an industry and as players we have to be um cognizant. Are we doing this just for optics or are we doing this for outcomes to really change lives? So we'll see. That's something to think about. We'll see about whether that that happens, but it'll be an interesting type of thing. The first hundred, right? So you're going to have a hundred owners, partial owners, whatever you want to call them, who will now have a stake in possibly, yeah, I mean, let's talk. I mean, a lot of people think that the green rush is kind of the big money move for California for the next, you know, five years and beyond, right? So these folks can be... Maybe instant millionaires? I think it really... Jay, tell us about I that. I mean, I think it really depends on how or how quickly California could step up enforcement of the black market. I mean, a, a news report came out that there were three times as much uh, black market uh, businesses than yeah. there were legal. 800% yeah. since, since legalization. Why, 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 the, why the proliferation and in, in the increase when, we're, when we are now just going legal? I mean, it's taxes. I mean, like they, you know, customers can go into an illegal shop and buy cannabis and cannabis products for cheaper than they can at a, le- uh, at a legal store. Because they're not being taxed by the city. They're not paying their taxes. There's a difference. So if I, <laughs> were, if yeah. I were a, a customer taxes on taxes to go to on one taxes. of these retail spots, is there a way that I can know whether or not they're legal or not? You can look it up online. Okay, on but DCR's if I were to website. just walk in. No, sometimes you don't. Sometimes they'll have fake certificates, Got fake it. licenses on the wall. Ask. Okay. Um, I think I've heard of that, but yeah, people I, are just like making it up to make it look like to to consumer that oh yeah, this place is legal. I mean, all the information's online, 
and the yeah. address is supposed to be online. I mean, the addresses are online, so you could double check, you know, using yeah, that. If you feel like you want to. But it's putting the most owner... people who are buying this stuff. Yeah. They're not really looking but, online. But I mean, in, in my experience, Yelp, consumers <laughs> look at prices. on the consumer, which right. is it's a lot to ask. Like people don't, you know. Right. No. When that, you're looking to buy point. an apple, you don't check if you know your your grocery store is <laughs> well. Yeah. You should move to Silver Lake. <laughs> right. That's a thing. Right, 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 right. All but right. I think in terms of this this concept of social equity, I think here in the city of Los Angeles, they've they've taken a very, ra- you know, radical, in, in some people's views, very strong stance in, in prioritizing um, these social equity applicants, these folks who have had their lives uh, negatively impacted by the war on drugs. But I think when we look at the state level, um, you know, there's so many other jurisdictions that need to, to follow suit. So you, you brought up a good point regarding the state versus the city, right? So we know, for example, that there, there are two levels of licensing, um, both at the local level versus the state. And so this is the other thing that our listeners don't understand, is that there's a, a, there, there's a dual level of approvals that must be done. Right. And some people that have approached me have said, I've got my license in the city. And I'm like, well, what about the state? And they're like... I didn't even know how to do that. Mm. Like, I thought I was good. Or, hey, I I don't need that CUP because I got my state license ready to go. And I've submitted that. Yeah. They're they're screwed. That sucks. So, again, misconceptions out there in terms of just process. We just want to make sure people understand that you got to be licensed both at the state and the local level if you're playing. Well, you have to be licensed first by the local level, at the local level, before you can get get a state license. You have to get an authorization. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, an authorization letter. And you have to show it to the BCC or whatever state entity. Um, governs your your business, yes. and then they give you one. Okay. And then you can bring it back to the city and apply for your license there. So let's let's talk about the money part of this, right? So, and this is kind of an interesting area because the the. I would still say this is a cash business, right? I oh mean, yeah, most definitely. There's no POS system that's coming in that you can swipe put in your credit card, maybe, I don't know. I've seen, uh, I've heard. I've heard your, of it. You can use your, your debit card. I've, I've heard of some having the ability to accept credit cards, but and I don't know the details of it. Which would be linked to somebody's bank account? Banking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So banking and cannabis is kind of the thing that oh, is yeah. really being a huge challenge Let's talk about to that. really kind of create, I would say, the normalcy in terms of transactions within the industry. Right? You go out there, people, you, you still are buying it, whatever product, in cash. When does this change? And how does this change? It changed when the federal government legalizes marijuana. <laughs> I mean, right now, you know, cannabis is still, still considered a controlled substance. So financial institutions under the control of the FDIC don't want to mess with it yet. Exactly. So a lot of banks don't take cannabis as clients. And if they do, they charge these exorbitant, um, what they call risk premiums. Because as Jay mentioned, federal government insures them and oversees them. So they are taking uh, a risk by taking cannabis clients on. So So is it because they want to charge that premium or because they don't, banks are afraid about the stigma of taking cannabis money? They can get their certification taken away. 
Yeah, I wasn't even aware there were banks that charged extra premiums, to be honest. I thought they just avoided it. I mean, th yeah, there's certain there's banks that... There are some banks that are starting to become oh, more okay. friendly, but they're mostly like local credit unions and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Right. But so not your traditional bank. You're not st stepping the, the into... big banks a, are not going to... You're not stepping into Bank of America and being like, yo... <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's it's a huge issue because it not only affects uh, the ability to, uh, you know, to complete financial transactions within the business, but it also goes back to the property level. If, if let's say they're la they're leasing it and their landlord has a commercial loan and mm. the, 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 the bank that's the holder of the commercial loan finds out that there's a cannabis tenant, a lot of times they'll, they'll actually avoid uh, the loan. And have you seen that happen? I have not seen it happen, but we in, hear about it all the time. But in negotiations with landlords, they, they actually a lot of them go to go seek permission from the bank to see if it's allowed, or some of them won't even tell the bank. It just really depends. Yeah. So. Um, so it's still of a huge risk. It's, it's a huge, huge risk on the property owner, you know, to 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 lease it because yeah. they they. The other question that I hear and is a big problem for the, for the industry is how do you get insurance? Like, uh, no, they're able to get insurance, but the premiums are a lot higher. So you think that insurance companies who are then, again, governed by the federal level is allowing this to occur? I, I don't personally know which insurance companies they use. <laughs> I, I really don't. I mean, that's not my it's area. Sure no it comments. sure is in Geico. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but I mean, they are required to have insurance. I okay. Mean, um, so, yeah, I, maybe stuff here. Not too sure about the insurance part. Yeah, the insurance uh, seems to be kind of a big problem along with the property, with the leases and making sure that there's compliance at mm -hmm. all levels. But, you know, when we get to, to this whole thing, it's like all this, as Jay said, really comes down to whether or not the federal government will do this. So, what, okay, so let's, let's, let's take bets here. <laughs> like five to 10 years, 10 to 20? I think farther. I would, I would like to say five. I think in less than five. I, I, five or less. I would have to agree with with how much is going into this legislatively and all the businesses few years, getting maybe. involved. It's like you can't unopen Pandora's box. It's just right. I mean, there definitely like is a will. And I think as the years go by, we're going to see this will really emerge to, to have cannabis be legal on the federal level. We're talking about banking. The Safe Banking Act is confirmed to have a vote next week. We mm. just heard back today. So, oh. so banking what is, for explain. What are they? What are they voting on, Steph? Explain. Oh, well, I'm no expert on this piece of legislation, but basically, <laughs> it would it would it would give them, you know, safe harbor, and and it would allow banking institutions to take on cannabis businesses um, as clients without fear. So, um, so that's a huge piece of legislation. There are folks who who say, oh, you know, we need we need comprehensive um, reform first. We need to legalize cannabis first before we, you know, do it piece by piece. But, I mean, there is a real need for it now. You know, businesses are really hurting. So um, I think this is a great call to action for our listeners out there. Call yeah. your... Interesting. Call to action, folks. Yeah. So call your congress member um, here in... In uh, CA34, our Congress member Jimmy Gomez and my Jimmy Gomez, my shout former out. yeah, shout out to my former boss. Um, he is a sponsor of the bill and he supports it. So we go. support Jimmy. There you go, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> make sure to make sure to call your members and make sure that thing gets passed. Right on. So, so if this thing does pass and everybody's thinking five years, so this is in your estimation going to be something quick. 
and it's going to quicker. It, it, it could depend on the elections too Five next years. year. Right. I mean, every presidential, every presidential hopeful is talking about it. It's yeah. definitely a hot topic. There is some, there is some bipartisan support for this, mm-hmm. so so it yeah. could really depend on next year's election. It I think be. I think the the presidential election will really be a big signifier about as to how quickly we will see federal prohibition end. So as as this new world starts to unfold, and we're now a we're off the uh, Schedule One side of this. Um, what does that world look like to you? If I go happen to go into, let's just say, a Seven Eleven, what, <laughs> what right next to what, one? What what am I going to see when this start, when this thing now is um, kind of pervasive throughout this throughout our retail, throughout our manufacturing, throughout our, I guess our even delivery and oh, testing. Oh yeah, delivery is. I mean, distribution. Alive I mean, and well right now. So what, are we, what is this landscape really? This is kind of what the interesting part about it. What are we looking at here? I kind of have my ideas. What do you think? I think the first thing that stands out to me is exports. Because right now, every state is operating like an island. We have our own set of rules. We have our own set of licensing and compliance. Um, but we can't interact with each other. There's 33 states right now um, in our country that, that have some form of legal cannabis, but we can't interact with each other. And so I think a big thing we're going to see with the end to federal prohibition is that we can finally start communicating and, and working together and exporting. Um, and I think a good example of this is Oregon. Last month, they passed an export bill. They're the first ones to do it. Uh, up in Oregon, they actually have a surplus of cannabis. And so they're just getting their ducks in a row. They're getting ready for, for federal... You just heard a bunch of people start their engines to go together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're getting ready <laughs> up there <laughs> in Oregon. Yeah. Even though they want to export crossing state lines with that is a federal issue. Exactly. So that's why they got... Okay, gotta, so everybody, stop your cars. Stop your cars. <laughs> they're just getting ready. It's, 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 it's preemptive of federal legalization. So as soon as it goes legal federally, this bill is going to be done. They're like, okay, we can yeah, start... Yeah, I mean, that's why they passed it. The governor signed it is because They're they know to get your clients. It's on the horizon. <laughs> it's on the horizon. So I think in terms of like the future of cannabis, I mean that's a really exciting thing yeah. that we'll, we'll we'll start to see, you know, expand in that sense. And Jay, what do you think that new world looks like to you? Oh, I agree completely. I think if it, it, it uh, at the federal level, if the prohibition is lifted, I think uh, the communication, cooperation between states and businesses within those states will help foster, you know, the, the growth of the cannabis market. Um, and but in conjunction with that, um, California. This is actually the biggest issue in California because the other states don't have as big of an issue of this. So California really needs to step up their enforcement of the right. of the black market, basically. If they don't, um, it's just going to continue to grow out of hand. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And I think um, if we're talking about, you know, the future and expanding, I think we're going to see the industry get smarter. You know, once we stop operating as different islands, we're going to think about how are, how can we grow cannabis more sustainably? You know, how, how you know, growing indoors is really a relic of prohibition. You had to hide it that you were growing. You couldn't grow outside. But, you know, right now, would you grow, would you purchase an right. apple that was grown inside or outside and so i think um at flocana we we support a a network of small farmers who grow sustainably outside full sun no pesticides it's all organic so i think as we we see expansion folks are going to be smarter about you know how we get and how we source our cannabis at the end of the day when i walk into a 7-eleven i'm gonna see (laughs) i'm gonna see the uh the donut that's 
processed by 7-Eleven, and then the donut that is now with some THC, <laughs> right, locked up. And the candy bars, the candy bars and the gummies that are- I wanna see the protein bars with this There you stuff. go. So Lauren would do that. Lauren would be, Laura, be next protein to, supplements and CBD. Yeah. <laughs> How cool would that be? Right? I, I feel like those things exist. There's somewhere around. It. But yeah. see, the, the, the biggest player right now that, that this is still what I, what I appreciate about where, where it's at right now is um, the big boys are not in the game. The big corporations have yet to really jump into this. You know, I know there's folks kind of out there waiting. I mean, the RJR Nabisco's, the Walmart's. I see, I see what you're saying. The, um, uh, you know, the, the folks who, are, who could really spend money on R&D are yet making their play. And when that changes, when, when Starbucks starts to serve a latte with CBD, that's the new landscape. I feel like we're not far from that. Yeah. I've, I mean, they're serving alcohol There's now, actually so. restaurants that have an undercover menu that are serving right. CBD yeah, in their food already. So if they're yeah. already doing it, I'm sure it's that just a matter once of time. a certain law passes or whatever, all of these big boys are going to unroll that real fast. Yes. And by the way, that's what that's Mike Wade on, on the mic joining that's us right, right here. He's our Sorry. producer. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. So yeah, Jay had to, Jay had to take off. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and real quick, we're going to shout out Kasi right Kasi. now. For opening yeah. up, Thank you very much. Thank their you. Home to us. It's an Indonesian restaurant here in uh, downtown LA, right on the corner of Los Angeles and 2nd Street. LA and 2nd. Welcome back to the closed session. And um, Jay Hong had to leave us, but uh, Mike's back. Steph's back. Mike Wade. So now it's all about, now all the focus is on you, Steph. So oh, thank you. I want to talk a little bit about kind of your progression because I, yeah. I, I knew you when. When I was a young seedling. Yes. And now like that here you are. That was how many years ago? Let's, let's go way back to 2012. But Steph was always great. She was, uh, you know, you knew she was a, she, she was a, a star on the rise and oh, we all you. appreciate that. And she's great. But. Let me talk about like your transition. Yeah, how did I get into this? Yeah, so you were a staffer. You mm -hmm. could have probably worked anywhere, All the way in the, up. anywhere in the private sector. Um, we had a lot of contacts out there. So the the burning question I think our listeners want to know is <laughs> why cannabis? Yeah, so I was a I was a political staffer for for seven years, and I just felt like it was time time to to make my segue into the private sector. Um, you know, I, I was finishing up two and a half years on the council floor, you know, seeing local legislation happen. And if you tune into Channel 35 anytime yes. during that period, you probably saw staff Me running around. Me scurrying in the back. Yes. yes. Helping trying to run council. Yes. So I was ready for a change, ready for a change of pace. I think I, I learned a lot and took what I wanted from the local level of politics. Um, and I was really being picky about where I landed. Oh, she was being so picky. I know. James was really, and Chris were really trying to help me, giving me all these things. And I was like, mm, no. So picky. No. But, um. It's a good thing to be picky. Yes. I was, I was trying to take my time. Um, okay, good. All but, right. You, that's a very millennial thing. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I just wanted to have options, you know. I actually found my job through LinkedIn. You looked them up in terms of just like you wanted to see this company or this, the company had an, an opening. I was, and you I was to do looking this. and I wasn't set on the cannabis industry. I, I wanted to, but it's just like hard, a hard industry to break into. You got to know someone. And so I felt really like at a disadvantage and like, I don't know anyone. I have the skills, but like, how am I going to break in? And there's so many companies, but 
I think just trying to even transition to the private sector was really hard. I, I put in like 30 applications. I wasn't hearing back from folks. So I was starting to freak out. Did you reach out to them or they reach out to you? Uh, I sent in a resume. That's it. And I waited about, oh. you say you're about starting a month. To, you were starting to freak out. I was definitely starting to I freak out. I was privy to some of those freak outs. Yes, you were. <laughs> yes, you were. I was looking at public policy jobs, government relation jobs, and I was just scrolling through and not too much caught my eye. You know, I applied to the big companies like Disney and stuff like that. But I saw Flocana and I was like, hmm, what is this? I clicked on it, did my research, and I just fell in love with what the company stood for. And I was and like, what does Flocon do? Does the company stand for? <laughs> so Flocon is really unique in that um, what we try to do is um, cultivate this ecosystem of small farmers. So all our farmers we work with are small farmers up in the Emerald Triangle. To our listeners who don't know what that is, a lot of folks here in LA, we don't know what that is, right? We don't know farmers. A lot of our small farmers in the Emerald Triangle, which is the Humboldt, Mendocino, Mendocino oh, okay. Trinity counties. Got it. So it's a it's an area that the climate um, and the geography really lends itself to just it's premium the, cannabis. It's called the growing. Emerald Triangle. Triangle, got it. Okay. Yeah, so Mendocino, Humboldt, Trinity counties. Um, that's where the farmers are that we work with. And right. so a lot of these farmers have been Who've growing. been there for generations. We've been there for generations. And, and back in the 80s, they've been subject to these federal raids where the federal government would send basically soldiers in, in helicopters with M16s and they would come down and they would cut their crops and they would terrorize these families With and send M16s. Yes, and this was like highly militarized raids and they just would just say no. Yes, and so they would they would come in and they would they would um yeah, take take their property and and send a lot of these folks to jail. So these are farmers who have been who have been doing this work for generations and have created some of the most, you know, historic um, strains. And so they, they know what they're doing up there. I think with all the people that have been locked up, especially minority, over weed or, you know, how much possessions or all of these different things, that there should be a program where when they are released that they get a stake in what's been legalized. So kind of just what you're saying, you've been subjected to the government, federal raids, et cetera. Now you, your company has found a way. There should be something else where the big boys don't get this big pie right away. It should be the people who actually paid with it, with their time that they, they lost with their, their families, dues. and right. yeah, pay their dues. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Because we're seeing that these small farmers are having a hard time adapting and staying alive and surviving in this new market because regulations are too onerous. They cost too much money and capital to start up. Yeah. But these farmers have been doing it for generations. They know how to do it, and they do it well. And historically, they've supplied a majority of the cannabis in the country. Stats say up to 80% of the country's cannabis comes from the Emerald Triangle. And so it's good cannabis, good product, and it's grown outdoors in the sun, um, no pesticides, all organic. And so, and a lot of these are like rejuvenative um, practices. So making sure that, you know, the soil is healthy, you, you make sure you... You, you plant your cannabis with other crops to make sure that, you know, pests stay away. And so this is what these small farmers are doing up there that we're partnering with. You know, you, you kind of have the pulse of what's going on overall with just the cannabis industry from your position. You kind of straddle government, but mm -hmm. you also straddle the folks who are in the private sector trying to make a living out there. So right. tell me, how what's your view from that 180, 360 degree perch what are you seeing the industry is in a, in a very interesting place it's like yes it's legal here in california yes we're you know giving out licenses but it's still a struggle like it's so difficult because 
these regulations change from day to day. I'm not gonna lie. Like one day PTC was big, you have to do this. Oh, just kidding, you have to do this. And the city, you know, they, they require so much so much paperwork. Um, you know, you have to have so many things lined up just to apply. And if you're right. missing one thing, that's gonna take, you know, how many how many steps backwards. So um, I'm seeing an industry that is is burgeoning, it is coming up, it is upcoming, but at the same time, it is having a, diffi a difficult time adjusting to coming out of the shadows, to coming into legalization. We are seeing companies um, struggle with that, yeah. especially the mom and pop shops, especially small farmers. And especially so, those who thought it was gonna be fast, quick, and right. easy. That, that, is the, that, that is, I think, the, the myth that we have to dispel today. Like, yeah, it's a green rush. Folks are coming to California, Colorado, places where it's legal, thinking they can make a quick buck, but it's not. This is like a long-term game you have to play. Because a lot of companies, yeah, sure, we have capital, but we're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to survive and, and grow. And I think, I think companies really have, and players really have to step up in, and, and consumers have to step up and kind of vote with their dollar, like what they want to see. Like what companies, what kind of cannabis, what kind of practices you want to see. When you, when you see consumers saying, yes, I want sustainably grown cannabis. Yes, I want to support um, people of color businesses. Yes, I want to support safe products by going to legal shops. You know, I think that's when we're going to start to see the change. So it's going to get a little bit easier for, right. for these companies to sustain themselves and grow. Because right now, there's this concept of, oh my gosh, it's legal now, it's going to blow up. But it's like, we're still adjusting and it's, it's having a hard time. We're, we're on a bit of a rocky road. Well, even on top of what he was asking, do you see it getting to the point of Amsterdam where we have the coffee shops? Yeah. And like going to a bar, like let's go smoke. You right. know what I mean? Like so instead of fair. let's go and drink. And that's what people want to do, right? Because now that it's legal, you can't smoke it in public. You exactly. Can't, you know, a lot of people can't smoke it in their apartments. Their landlords don't like it. So um, you can't smoke it in hotels. So and isn't, if you're high and driving, is that? It's DUI. There it's you go. Yeah. So in the city of Los Angeles, I believe next year is when we're going to start seeing applications for consumption lounges and yeah. cafes oh, and stuff like okay. that. Okay. Actually, in the city of West Hollywood, they already have their first cafe open, Lowell Cafe. Oh, I didn't even know that. You know, it's step by step. Right now, we're at kind of like the retail stage. And then yeah. we'll get to consumption lounges and stuff like that. When, when people were arguing this, they were always arguing about health and the benefits of cannabis when it comes to health. And when you're talking about, like, getting to the point of, I guess... Um, legalization of, of 18 and over is that still an issue yes definitely um, I think is that I mean is that still something that that people kind of hang their hat on you mean like the average consumer like oh, I don't know about this like the CBD stuff right that's out there oh, okay right? I mean I think that I mean I think that's gonna be a big big uh, area of growth wellness and see in cannabis well look we want to thank you Steph we want to thank you Jay thanks best friend Yes. Thanks for so, having me. And, uh, it was awesome being here today. By the way, this is a, a series that we're going to probably have. I uh, think this this calls for a second part. To a this, second part. Honestly, there's so much. There's, we could there's not fit it into so this one episode. And, and we want to hear from folks. We want to hear about stuff that, that I think you care about that we may have missed or we didn't touch upon enough. If you guys have something out there that we can provide in terms of information, in terms of just enlightenment of what the cannabis industry, we got folks. Yeah. I mean, we know some people. Hey, we're going to be on again in about a week's time. Awesome. You know, this is this is our second episode. I think it went well. I think we, we did okay. Had a good and, time. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. Um, we appreciate the fact that Kasi has been our home away from home all this time. So shout out to them. We're going to be back. 
Um, and we hope that you will join us. And we're and we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to have some guests for you. We're going to continue to figure out ways that that we can that that we can bring you accessible government in a way that I guess is fun, that exciting. That was really well put. I like that. Closed session, bringing you accessible government. That is it. Hey, thanks everybody for thanks joining everyone. us. Thank Catch you. us on our Instagram. That's closed.session. Now, if you have anything interesting you want us to approach, any specific questions, uh, slide into our DMs. <laughs> That's right. Or this, our LinkedIn page. As you know, poppin'. Uh, yeah. my poppin DMs LinkedIn. are not popping. So I'll, I'll take the DMs at the closed session. I love you, Zach. Oh,